Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. And this, um, this morning, I want to share with you guys a, a word that it really the Lord has, has started to just grow in my spirit as we were thinking about convergence this year, 30 years celebrating God's faithfulness through the ups and the downs. We've had incredible times. We came through some storms, and, and, and the Lord has brought us through all of that. And so in October, we have the opportunity to come together to have a massive party, right? We're going to throw a big party, all right? And so we want to invite all of you guys, join us for that. I think the northern churches, you guys are going to meet in um, Pretoria in all likelihood. And the guys down south, they're going to meet in Somerset West. But of course, you're welcome to come to Somerset West as well. If you want to come and see the beach, let us, let us know. We'll set you up for accommodation. Uh, but I will be down there and we'll be coming up here as well. But our heart really is to make convergence as accessible to everybody. We don't want finances to stand in the way of anybody being blessed. So we'll be sharing some more info uh, with you guys, how you can partner with us. Our heart really is to make it as affordable and accessible to everybody as possible. But this whole theme of of just being a people of joy, being able to celebrate, being able to rejoice, was emphasized to me again when we were in Zanin. And I, I was just amazed to see the joy amongst that congregation, to see people who are traveling. I mean, those farmers up in the mountains, they for small group, they travel an hour easily for church, hour, hour and a half. And the guys do it with so much joy. And I, and I know you Johannesburgers as well, you guys are not afraid of traveling, all right? If down in, in Stellenbosch and that part of the world, in Somers the West, if you've got to travel further than 10 minutes to go to church, it's far, all right? And so I know you guys are hardcore, all right? You are, you are just like taking no prisoners in terms of your commitment. And with that, there's just such joy in being here this morning, um, being part of a family. And I believe that God has actually given His church a unique and a very special gift that we sometimes overlook when we talk about the gifts that God gives us. And so I quickly want to take you to a couple of, of verses and some of them I'm just going to highlight briefly, and some of those verses we're going to go into some more depth to, to have a, a closer look at what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. So the first verse uh, comes from Romans 14, verse, verse 17, and, and what I want to do sort of initially is just to look at the centrality of joy, especially in the New Testament. Then we will look at a few ways in which we can build our joy, and then we're going to, um, we're going to get practical around just slowing down and just really allowing the Holy Spirit to come and minister to our hearts. And so Romans 14, Paul is, is speaking to um, his brothers and sisters, and, and he's challenging them on a, on a few things. And, and, he, and, he, and he's sharing with them, that guys, we've got liberty. We have received the spirit of freedom. There's a lot of things that God has, has given us. And we shouldn't be enslaved to, to, uh, to a lot of laws that want to dictate to us how we need to live. But but what we need to understand, the kingdom of God is not in externals. It's not about the external things. And in this context, he was speaking to guys who were really having some struggles around, should you ban or shouldn't you ban? Should you be eating meat or shouldn't you? Should you be going just veggies or, or not? Should you just be going chicken or, or whatever? You know, and he's speaking to them about this, and he, and he says to them that you can, you can do anything, basically, um, that you've got freedom. But don't allow your preference to be a stumbling block to the relationships that God has given you. And it says to them, in the kingdom of God, relationship actually trumps preference. That you can have your preference and hold on to your preference, and it's amazing, and, and go for that. But don't let your preference be a stumbling block to somebody else's faith. And so your preference can actually break another brother's faith. And so, and so in our context, 
You know, we could easily, let me just read that verse first. He says, the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not, it's not a matter of the external things that we see that we would often think, man, there's the kingdom of God. We can see the kingdom of God is moving there, or we judge the kingdom of God based on external things. Or we, we judge whether someone is part of the kingdom of God based on, on external things. And in, in our context, maybe we would be able to say that the kingdom of God is not a matter of, dare I say, vaccinating or not vaccinating. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not a matter of, 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 of how long you breastfeed or not. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not a matter of whether it's big church or small church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of how loud the band is or how soft uh, or in Afrikaans, whether it's an organ or whether it's technotronics, the kingdom of God is not in those things. The kingdom of God manifests in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and it's fascinating that God would put joy in there as a sign of the kingdom of God. And it says where the kingdom of God is, where a group of people are, who are part of the kingdom of God, central to their relationships, central to what manifests, central to what motivates them is the fact they are in right standing with God. That, that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that gives them confidence to approach God. And they understand that because I'm in right standing with God, I, I'm also going to be in right standing with those around me. <laughs> that, that biblically speaking, righteousness is never just about my relationship with God. It is always flowing out of my vertical relationship with God into my horizontal relationships. And it says the kingdom of God manifests in that righteousness, not in my own works, but in what Christ has done for me. And then it manifests in peace, in the midst of shaking and in the midst of, of warfare and, and, and disease and all of those things. The people of God have an internal peace. Carry something with them that cannot be stolen from them. So whether you're thrown into the pit or you're thrown into prison or whether you're locked down or whatever external things might be brought to bear upon you, you carry your own weather with you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Mike and the mechanics, they were right. You can always take your own weather with you. There's, there's something inside of us, a peace that is not dependent upon circumstances. And, and then he says, of all the things they could put in there, he says that when you have a, a people of God gathering, that there are citizens of the kingdom of God, you don't just have this incredible relationship with God and, and, and this, this, this relationship that impacts those around you as well. You, you don't just have this peace and the serenity, but you also have joy. It says the kingdom of God manifests. You know that people are part of the kingdom of God by the joy that they have as well. Okay, and so we know that joy is so much more than just happiness. We know that joy is more a state of being. It is, it is more something that, something that you carry with you than just whether you are laughing out loud or whether you are uh, constantly happy. We know how often those things can be masks as well. And how sometimes the most happy people on the surface are the most hurting and, and vulnerable people on the inside. We know that joy is so much more than happiness, but, but surely joy does have to impact also our faces at times. 
Surely joy does have to find expression also in how you manifest to the outside. I know some of us, we, we internalize our joy a lot, and, and some of us are more expressive. But somewhere down the line, joy has to manifest on the outside. Somewhere down the line, joy has to be a fuel that carries you through difficult times as well. And, and, and if we look at what Paul says, the Holy Spirit has come to give us, in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit that we receive when we become born again, when we receive the Holy Spirit through our, our surrender to Him, and He translates us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It says part of what we receive from God is His Holy Spirit, and, and part of what the Holy Spirit brings into our lives is joy. It's, it's, it's fascinating there that joy is the second fruit mentioned, and I don't believe necessarily that they are in order of importance, but, but it is quite, I think, crucial to understand that joy is right up there. It's one of the ways in which you will know whether someone is led by the Holy Spirit and has the Holy Spirit is that they have joy. And then sometimes we would look at um, a lot of this, the power signs and gifts manifesting, or we would look at whether somebody is speaking in a in, in, in heavenly language. We look at a lot of those things, and, and yet very often God would come into our lives and say, but the Holy Spirit is also there to stir joy in your heart. The Holy Spirit is also there to, 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 to give you something that you cannot manufacture by yourself. And, and, and that's when I look at the fruit of the Spirit. I'm encouraged that this is not... Heinrich's fruit that he, that he manufactures, that he, he goes into some state and, I don't know, <laughs> grab joy out of the air or you know, get an injection of joy. Joy is a fruit that the Holy Spirit gives. You know, so for some of us, it maybe feels, man, I don't have the joy or, man, I don't always feel that way. Relax in that. You don't have to manufacture that by yourself. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. It is, it is something which we can surrender to more because you already have it. If you are born again, you already have the fruit of the Spirit. You need to cultivate that fruit, and you need to position yourself so that fruit can grow. But it is your inheritance. Joy is our inheritance. Amen? Each and every one of us can have the joy together with the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. If we look at the early church, uh, Acts 13 verse 52 uh, verse 52 comes after verse 51 and verse 50 and verse 49, okay? And, and the preceding verses actually speaks about how Paul and, and Barnabas, um, they were kicked out of, I think it's Iconium. They, they were ministering there, and then they, the, uh, um, the Jewish people in the synagogue stirred up the influential women and, and men in the city. So they got hold of the woman first, right? The influential woman, the prominent woman in the city, the woman, the next that were controlling the heads. They got hold of those women and they stirred them up against Paul and the disciples there. And they actually chased them out of that area. How's that for ministry success? <laughs> chased them out of the area, didn't want to receive the gospel. And so you would look at the surface at that, at that, that mission or that work in that city and not too many of us would say, man, high five, success all around. Let's rejoice. We were kicked out of the town. <laughs> but the Bible says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the things that happened to them there, there was something that earmarked the early church, the believers. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, or rather they were filled with joy 
and with the Holy Spirit. And, and I want you to notice how almost every time when joy is mentioned, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as well. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit in the midst of circumstances that really didn't look or feel that, that joyous. I, as a pastor, I don't know if my first response, if a mission team come, comes back to me and say, man, we were kicked out of there, couldn't really do a lot of stuff there. I don't know if that would be my first response. But there was something that the disciples carried with them that went beyond their circumstances. Look at what Paul says to the guys in First Thessalonians. Um, you receive the word in much affliction. He commends them. He says, I'm, I'm proud of you because you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So when the word was preached to you, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't in like an environment where maybe these chairs of you, your, your church is amazing, all right? You guys have got incredible chairs. I just want to say that. All right? We were meeting in a venue now, a temporary venue. We had to tell our congregation, come to church and bring your own chair, right? So we brought our own chairs. Thankfully, we're moving into another venue now, but thou shalt not covet thy brother's chairs. But I doubt whether the guys in Thessalonica, if they had such, such lovely chairs when they were sitting on, they received the word. So they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It says that, that, that because you received the word that was preached to you, and that word came with persecution, and probably they were kicked out of some families, and some of them lost their jobs, and there was a lot of stuff that went against the preaching of the word. There was a joy with that. So much so, it says, that they became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. May we as, as, as shofar congregations, as the body of Christ, may we be examples to those around us of how we can receive the word and how we can live with joy. Now, I believe that there's something that is so attractive about people who receive the Word of God with joy and who manifest joy to those around them. This goes a little bit against the, the traditional prosperity gospel that they would want to teach us that as long as you are obedient to God, you will not have persecution. As long as you are obedient to God, you will have this, this, and this, and all of those things will add to your joy. Whereas we don't really see that in the New Testament. We don't really see that in the gospel that is being preached. There's this mixture of persecution and tough times and yet incredible joy. And, and, and I feel that sometimes we get, we get conned into, into falling into a mindset where we want to avoid the difficulties. We want to avoid the persecutions. We want to avoid the tough times. We want to avoid the pain. Believing if we can just avoid that, we will have the joy. And I think... It might just be that we are shortchanging ourselves and because we are running from the pain, maybe not wanting to acknowledge the pain and we're wanting to just protect even our children very often against pain and against discomfort, might it be that we could always or almost also prevent them from experiencing true joy? It could just be that there's, that there's a treasure of joy locked up by God for us in difficult moments in difficult circumstances, in uncomfortable seasons. And may God give us the grace and the courage to, to not shy away from those moments. Joy is countercultural. Jesus promised us in Luke 6, verse 22, and He said, Blessed are you when men hate you. It's like, you are, okay. All right, everybody's gunning for me on Facebook. Everybody's gunning for me when I, when I stepped out in faith. God says, blessed are you. When they hate you. 
And when they exclude you, right, there's a young person, you're not invited to the parties. There's a student, the guys say all sorts of evil things about you. At, at work, they, they're talking behind your back. And when they revile you, right, they hate you, they exclude you, they revile you. It's like they think you're the lowest of the lowest. Initially, the word Christian wasn't like a beautiful term used in the early days. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are hated, excluded, reviled, and they cast out your name as evil. <laughs> they say all sorts of evil things about your name for the Son of Man's sake, right? Not because you are lazy, not doing your job, and <laughs> not because you are just being silly, but because you are following Christ. He says, blessed are you when those things happen. And then he says this, rejoice in that day. And then he goes one step further. Jesus could have just said rejoice. That already have been tough. Rejoice when you're being hated. Rejoice when people backstab you. Rejoice when people say evil things about you, when you're misunderstood. Rejoice and leap for joy. I'm like, no, that's going a bit too far. Jesus did no insert. He could have just stopped with rejoicing. And then each one of us could have interpreted that like, I rejoice my way. You rejoice your way. That's fine. All right. We agree to disagree on what rejoicing looks like. But it's like leap for joy. <laughs> I think all of us would agree that means, you know, there's a little something that has to go on there. Just a little. You know, you might twitch, or, but there's something there that has to manifest on the outside. Why? Because passivity sucks the life out of us. And passivity wants us to fall into a victim mentality. And he says joy, joy just translates you out of this victim mentality. Joy takes you into the realm of the overcomer. Joy takes you into the realm of positioning yourself so that you can relate to yourself and to those around you through God's eyes. He says, leap for joy. When was the last time you leapt for joy? And we know Proverbs 17, verse 22, and, and, and neuroscience and all of those things are discovering it now, and many books are being written about it. But we know that joy is good for our bodies. And the human body hasn't been created to live in a constant state of fight and flight, to be driven by adrenaline from one day to the next. Your body can't handle that. You're much better when you have endorphins and all of those lovely things coursing through your veins. And the joy, laughter, it is good for, you, for your body. It's good medicine. Okay, and so we see the joy is central, and I just looked at the New Testament, a little bit of Proverbs, but even in the Old Testament we see it. We see God rejoicing over His people, dancing over His people. All right, and so we see the joy so central to Scripture. Let's take a quick look at Jesus' life. In, in Hebrews 1 verse 9, there's this beautiful verse. It says, and then it, I think it's Psalm 45, 46, where the writer to the Hebrews is quoting from. And he says, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Fascinating. We, we all know Jesus quoting from Isaiah and saying, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news and the opening of prison doors. We, we know that verse. We know that, that X, Luke speaks about the fact that God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about preaching and, and, and healing all. 
But here we see that there was also an anointing that God gave Jesus, and it was the anointing of joy. That the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness. So much so that he had more gladness, more joy than his contemporaries. So I doubt whether Jesus would have been the guy that had the saddest face in the room or in the town. In, in actual fact, if we, look at, if we look at the New Testament, the Gospels, we see how often Jesus could be found having a party. <laughs> now, if, if you go and read the Gospels honestly without your religious lens on, you see the guys who loved hanging around with Jesus were the people called sinners, prostitutes, uh, tax collectors, and drunkards. So much so, Jesus had so many parties that they called him a drunkard. He had a reputation for being a drunkard. Now, of course, we know that Jesus wasn't a drunkard, but he loved hanging around people. He didn't have the, the, a religious uh, a heaviness about him. There was the oil of joy, of gladness upon him. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 2, we see it emphasized to us again. We encouraged in verse 1 to to lay aside the weights and the sins and all the things that so easily ensnare us. Let's lay them aside because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus. We heard it this morning at intercession. And, and, and again, Becca shared it with us. Let's look unto Jesus, our focus, our attention. And it's, it's not upon lay aside the, the weights and the sins. It's not so much that you've got to do that in your own strength. It is as you look at Jesus. Man, as you look at the prize, as you look at the beauty of who He is, it becomes easy to lay aside the things that want to entrap you. It's like when I was living in Stellenbosch and Nikki was doing a Zuma year in Beaufort West, yeah, I wasn't necessarily making all the sums about how much it's going to cost me to put petrol in my car, to drive there, and then, you know, you know how little time do, can I get away from the, my work? I wasn't making too many costs and sums there. I was living at Paul Ruiz in the hostel, and the idea for me living at Paul Ruiz in the hostel was so I could save for the wedding. Okay, that was the idea, the goal. All right? But man, every chance I got, I was in that car, driving to Beaufort West. You know, putting that petrol into the tank with joy. Just like, gluk, 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 gluk. I'm heading to Beaufort West. I'm getting there after school. I'm leaving the Monday morning, driving early back. You know, there was this wife for the joy set before me. You know, wait, she's waiting for me with a magnum. I knew it. You know, we would stop there at petrol station and we would get a magnum and just, it was just amazing. The joy set before me propelled me to even be a little bit reckless. I probably should have saved a bit more <laughs> for the wedding. But there was this, this is joy of just being with her. And then that is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, this is amazing. That Jesus had a goal. Jesus had something in his imagination, something in, his, in, the, in the eyes of his spirit that propelled him through the cross. He says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? And so Jesus went through the, the suffering of the cross, the humiliation of hanging on that tree naked, being laughed at by people, and, and the apparent failure Three years of ministry, life of miracles, of praying, of, of preaching and teaching and walking mile after mile after mile. All of that came together in that one moment. And one of his disciples and a few ladies 
all that were left. Right? Nobody would classify that as a success. But, but, but Jesus went through that suffering. He went through the anxiety, as, as, as Matthew tells us, that he says, my soul is exceedingly, what's the, the old uh, word? It's not vexed. I think it was vexed. But he was sorrowful, the Bible says. Why? Because he was going somewhere he's never gone before. Rejection from his father, separation from his father, the, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. What enabled him to get through that? The joy set before him. And then I think that joy could be on a few levels, but I, I believe that most important joy before him was knowing was being obedient to his father. Knowing that he was pleasing his father. Knowing that, that when he had finished his mission, he would hear, well done, good and faithful. That he would be reunited with his father and so he could get through the difficult time because he was heading somewhere. He was coming from his father and he was going to his father. I believe part of that joy was knowing that, that one day, where are we now? What, what's the day today? The 3rd of April. That one day there would be a group of people <laughs> worshiping the Father. Here in a, in a little school hall called Roosevelt High. That one day as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe that part of the joy that propelled him was knowing that people who would never be able to get to the Father, no matter how hard they tried, no matter how good they were, no matter how many sacrifices they brought, that one day they would be able to freely walk into the presence of the Father. That one day they would be able to experience and share in the same relationship, the same joy that Jesus and the Father had. And so Jesus was able to get through difficult times. Why? Because he had joy before him. If, if, you, if we read that honestly, we will acknowledge that in that moment, Jesus wasn't really leaping with joy in Gethsemane. Jesus, Jesus in that moment, when he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, probably wasn't the happiest guy amongst the disciples there. I mean, he was sweating blood. I think it's a stretch of the imagination to look at that and say, Hey, he was in a happy state, wasn't he? <laughs> he was in such a good emotional state right there. And yet the Bible says he was anointed with joy. And yet the Bible says that he had this, this joy set before him. And, and I just believe in my heart, part of the reason why sometimes we can look at scriptures about joy and feel that it's out of reach for us is because we have this, this struggle with how do you marry the joy of the Holy Spirit with the reality of life? How do you marry the reality of the stuff that you know you are feeling even when you are listening to a sermon about joy? <laughs> the reality of being in God's presence and experiencing His presence and knowing when I fix my eyes on Him, things of the earth grow strangely dim and they lose their hold and their power on me. And yet, when I go back into certain environments, things happen inside of me that if my pastor were to see it, if it were to be put up on a screen, I don't know if people would be happy to see that. How do we marry those, those two things? And, and therefore, I quickly want to show you how Jesus did that. Jesus, remember what we said, he's anointed with the oil of gladness. He had this goal of, of joy set before him that enabled him not just to, to uh, uh, passively go through life, but to go through very difficult times. At the same time, Jesus was also angry at times. And the Bible tells us this. He's on the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. He wants to heal a, a, a man who, who comes to him with a shriveled up hand. He wants to heal this man. The Pharisees are like murmuring in their hearts. And Jesus, the Bible says, he was angry at the hardness of their hearts. 
couldn't believe it, that they would make his house, his presence, the word, make it into something so cold and lifeless and without compassion. The Bible says he was angry. At the same time, the Bible says that he was grieved in his heart by the attitude. So here he's standing, this man is in front of him, the religious folk, all the pastors, all right, they there, and they are like, just like, he's not going to do it. Surely he's not going to do it, not on the Sabbath. And Jesus, he has this combination of anger in his heart as well being grieved in his spirit. Jesus wasn't afraid to feel that. He wasn't afraid to feel angry. He wasn't afraid to feel grieved. The beautiful thing we read in that, that, that story is that Jesus still healed. <laughs> so it's important to notice that. Notice the contrast between Jesus, how he experienced anger and grief, and how Moses experienced his anger. Moses' anger propelled him to hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Jesus didn't deny his anger, but it also didn't allow his anger to control him. He allowed and he, and he dealt with his anger, and I believe he was, he was also angry over the right things. Like he allowed that emotion, and still he did the right thing in that moment. The Bible says often that Jesus was surprised by the unbelief of his disciples. He was stunned at times. He, he marveled, right? Not the movie marveled. He, he, he marveled at the unbelief. He at times couldn't believe it when he just cast demons out of, out of people, and the disciples still like, oh, Lord, we don't know whether... We can do this. How long must I be with you? He was surprised, genuinely surprised. And he expressed it. Guys, sure. (laughs) How much longer must I be with you? He was excited when the 70 came back. They came back with a good report telling him, Lord, the demons are fleeing and and things are happening and people are getting healed. And, And the Bible says Jesus was glad. He rejoiced. He was happy for them. and He was happy with them, but yet he challenged them. And he says, don't, don't rejoice about this only. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you read that through a religious lens, you will see Jesus sitting there, the disciples coming back, all excited like little kids. like They're experiencing the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's power. And Jesus is like, ah, just finish the story, finish, all right? Okay, you cast out a demon, all right? You healed somebody. Oh, you guys are missing it. Just finish, finish. Look, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Rejoice over that, man. No, he was excited with them. It's like, yes, this is awesome. This is amazing. But remember, this is just a little taste. You know, so he was connecting with their joy. He was relating to them. Even though we knew there was a greater joy, he was still connecting with their joy. It wasn't so like you, you need to reach higher, 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 that he couldn't on a human level just rejoice with them that they were experiencing something amazing. But he inspired them to reach for more. And then we know that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't want to receive the message that he was bringing, the comfort that he was bringing. He could see in his mind's eye how that city, 70 AD, would be destroyed. And he wept for them. He mourned, not just in that moment, but also for right throughout the centuries, how he, through the prophets, had come to them, and they were still resisting him. They were still saying no, and it broke his heart, and he wept. Of course, we know how he wept over Lazarus as well. All right, and then, as I already said, that Jesus battled anxiety in the garden. There was a time when, when believers 
and, and some people would preach that if you experienced any of the things that Jesus experienced, that there was something wrong with your faith. And I think somewhere down the line, some of us might still feel that if I experience the anger and the grief and the surprise and the frustration and the excitement and, and the mourning and, and all of those things, that there must be something fundamentally wrong with me. And I don't believe that that is a healthy way of looking at our emotions. It's not a healthy way of connecting with the joy. So having the joy of the Holy Spirit in our life, certainly if we just look at Jesus' life, does not mean that you deny your emotions. But it does mean that your emotions are in right order in your life. They don't come too much and they don't come too little either. You don't ignore them and neither are you led by them either. Right? They're simply part of being human. And they can be beautiful indicators to us, like a gauge telling you that you need to explore. You need to look at the gauge. doesn't matter if you hit the gauge trying to, like, you will not be empty in Jesus' name. Right? This, this gauge here that's telling me that my petrol is being low, this is from the devil. Out! <laughs> be filled! Be full! <laughs> Man, you've got to look at what does the gauge tell me? Why is it red? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? Then you can't worship your way into a full tank. <laughs> he, sometimes you can, all right? <laughs> sometimes you can. We were on missions a long time ago. Was, I think it was the first mission that Shofar went on. The guys went to some other country. And the petrol um, tank went empty. And the guys were looking at, okay, so how can we do this? What, what do we have in our hand? We've got faith, and we have some fluids. Let's trust the Lord for a miracle. I'll leave the rest up to your imagination. <laughs> George Muller said the following. We know George Muller, powerfully used by God to just in his lifetime be a blessing to like 10,000 orphans that he took care of. Stood in faith, never asked anybody for a cent. At least fundraising was going into the presence of God. Okay, that's not the only way of doing it, but that's the way that, that he did it. And he said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. And so, so we know what that means, right? To have your joy connected to the Lord. He says, with all this stuff, all the standing in faith, all the, the, the building of the different orphanages and getting the food and all of those things, he was incredibly busy. He said that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Uh, I think that often within church, many of us would have to admit that the last thing that we attend to is the happiness of our souls in the presence of the Lord. That we would go for the fundraising in his, in his context. We would go to the building of the orphanage. We would go to getting the food. We would go to ministering to those kids. And then lastly, maybe if there's a little bit of time left, I would look after myself. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get myself into a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. Maybe that was really the key to why he could have all the ministry success that he had. Because it flowed from his inner life. So how do we nurture our joy? And I'm going to send this PowerPoint to Henny, and he's going to send it to all of you guys in small groups and so forth. So don't, don't worry if you can't remember all of these things. But I believe that we nurture our joy, amongst other things, by meeting together with, unbel with believers. 
When we come together, as, as, as uh, the Apostle John says, I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. He's got this incredible relationship with God, John the Beloved. He says, but, but there's an element of my joy that is going to be full when I see you face to face. It's one of the reasons why gathering on a Sunday, gathering on Tuesday or Wednesday with other believers is so powerful because there's a mutuality in, in the joy exchange that takes place. Um, John 15 verse 11 says, or 1 John 1 verse 4, These things we write that your joy may be complete. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may be made full. So feeding on the Word, dwelling on the Word, meditating on the Word increases our joy. Being open to God's presence through praise and prayer and meditation. As Psalm 16 verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At the bank, can we go to that, the full verse, uh, Psalm 16 verse 11? Then if, if you have time to put it up there for me, please. You have known, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a, there's, a, there's a place in God's presence that God has reserved for us where we can come and we can bring all of our emotions, not deny them, not say, okay, I'm not going to come with my anger, I'm not going to come with my grief because that really isn't, isn't a place for the presence of God. But to come with all of that into His presence and to allow Him through His Holy Spirit to bring the exchange, that fullness that He has in store for us, the pleasures of His presence. Psalm 16, verse 18 to 9 says, I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I'm convinced that God has a portion of joy for us. A portion of joy that is going to enable us to enter into seasons of increasing shaking, increasing tumult, and a lot of uncertainty in this world to have joy that is going to be a testimony to those around us. But in order for that to happen, we have to pay attention to our inner world. In order for that to happen, we have to slow down. In order for that to happen, we have to be honest about what's really going on here in the inside of my heart. When the music fades and everything is stripped away, what's going on here? Not to deny it, but to bring it into God's presence. Now, I'm going to leave you with a little template. And I know that each one of us, we have our different ways of connecting with God. And this isn't the only way, and it's not a rule. It's simply a template that is very, very flexible. And it's called the daily examiner. I know some of you might be familiar with it. It is simply a way for us to work into our lives the habit of slowing down. The habit of actually thinking about how we're thinking and thinking about how we're feeling and then deciding what are we going to do with what we feel. Because here's the thing, just because you might be denying the emotion doesn't mean that the emotion isn't there. And sometimes what happens is that within a church environment, and if we are in an environment where we are not honest with ourselves, what we are feeling comes out in a moment when we can least afford it. The anger that if you deal with it initially when you become aware of it, you can take it to God, you can pray through that anger. God, this is what I'm feeling. Is it righteous anger? 
Is it something you want me to be angry about so I can do something about this because this is grieving your heart? Or is it simply my ego that's taking a knock and I should repent and I should yield to you? If I don't address that thing, it grows and it grows and it grows and then you get to a place where you kick the cat, you break the mirror, smash the door, or whatever. Or you resign <laughs> in a moment when you shouldn't have. Because you allow those things to build up and to build up and to build up. And I, and, and I, I want to share with you just, and um, maybe if we can have somebody just playing the guitar for us, because I, I just want to lead you through this. We're going to take about 10 minutes, and I just want to ask you to, to, to really just still your heart for a couple of moments. And again, this isn't the only way in which you can slow down, but I want to I recommend to you that maybe do this once, do this once a week. The ideal would be to do it once every, every day. You can do it in the middle of the day. You can do it at the end of the day. You can do it at the beginning of the day, even if you, if you wanted to reflect on the previous day. But what we do when we enter into God's presence is that we want to acknowledge that He's with us. I don't know why is that important? Because it's important to acknowledge that He's with you even when you are feeling angry. It's important for you to acknowledge that He's with you even when you are feeling ashamed. It's, acknowledge, oh, it's important to acknowledge that He's with you even when you are feeling lonely. Because what the devil will want to tell us is that you need to stop feeling lonely so that you can be with God. You need to stop feeling ashamed so that you can be with God. You need to stop feeling angry so that you can be with God. And He tricks us into a works mode again. Stop feeling lonely. Stop feeling ashamed. Stop feeling angry. And then you will be good enough for God. And what do we do? We actually cut ourselves off from the healing that He wants to bring us. We cut ourselves off from the joy He wants to bring us. And we get we right back where the devil wants us working. Working. And, and most of us here, we understand that working, you know, we're not sacrificing. None of us are really, I hope, not trying to serve our way into God's presence. But I know often the devil can try to get us trapped in this area of our emotions. I must be completely sorted out before God will be pleased with me. And just entering into his presence from a sense of gratitude that is with you, irrespective of where you are. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.